0: Grace and mercy and peace belong to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Early church history tells us about this man. He's a man by the name of Justin, Justin Martyr. Justin Martyr was born about 70 years after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. In addition, Justin Martyr grew up in the, in the same general region where, where Jesus grew up and where he lived for the first 30 years of his life. As as Justin grew up in this region, one of the most common sights he would have seen would have been to see farmers working their fields. And one of the most crucial implements for a farmer at that time, then and now, was a plow. A plow in that time was a, a wooden frame with a, a plowshare on the bottom for opening up the soil. If you were a farmer with your plow all set and ready to, to work your field, you would have been standing behind this wooden frame, you would have put your, your hands on the on the two wooden handles for you to guide that plow. And then as you looked ahead you would have seen the two backsides of your team of oxen. On each neck of those oxen would be a wooden yoke. And attaching the two wooden yokes on your oxen to your plow would be an extended piece of wood fashioned and designed specifically for that purpose. Now, assuming as a farmer, you know how to communicate with your oxen, which also was vital, of communicating with them to move forward, or to stop, or move to the left, move to the right, to pull together. Assuming you knew how to do that, you were all ready to to work your field. A well-made, sturdy, well-designed plow was a valuable implement. Now this Justin Martyr is someone who grew up in the same region, agricultural region, where Jesus grew up. It appears that Justin Martyr also knew something else from living in that region. It said that Justin Martyr remarked to someone else about Jesus' earthly father, Joseph. Joseph, as we know from Scripture, uh, was a carpenter by trade. Now, the Greek word translated carpenter can include the building of really all kinds of things. But Justin remarked to someone to whom he was talking that Joseph and Jesus, while Jesus was growing up, made a fair number of farm implements, things like yokes and plows. In fact, it appears Justin Martyr even remarked that that many decades after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, many of Jesus' well-built plows... We're still in use. Well, imagine you're a farmer in the days of, of Justin Martyr. In the days of Justin Martyr. You're working your field. The plow you have in your hands is the plow perhaps your, your grandfather's family purchased when your grandfather was a young man. And your family knows the history of this plow, the builders of this plow were the carpenters, Joseph and Jesus of Nazareth. All of this reminds us that when God the Son entered our time and space, his life on this earth rooted itself in real, everyday familiar ordinary life. It can also remind us that when when people perceive when people perceive a, a familiar ordinariness about Jesus, sometimes they can take that familiarity, that apparent ordinariness, and draw the wrong conclusion. Which brings us to the Word of God before us. Here's the setting from Mark chapter 6. It, it, it's still relatively early in Jesus' public ministry. His, his preaching and his miracles have created something of a stir within the region of Galilee. And now Jesus and his disciples have come to his hometown, hometown of Nazareth. Nazareth at this time is a pretty small town, maybe just a few hundred people, two to three hundred people. It's a place where everybody knows everybody else. It's the Sabbath. Jesus goes into the synagogue there and begins to preach and teach. Many from the town listen in. They are amazed at what they hear. But keep this in mind. Many are watching and listening to Jesus with a distinctive set of eyes and ears. Remember, this is Jesus' hometown. To them, to many of them, he's Joseph and Mary's boy. To them, he's the one who repaired their plow Or sold them a new yoke. And so Mark records their reaction. Where did this man get these things? They ask. What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Not only do they see him as the local carpenter, they also can't get past the thought in their mind that that they already know his family. They know his mother and his brothers and his sisters. You mean this, this familiar, ordinary guy that we all grew up with? That, that he's supposed to be someone special? He's supposed to be some kind of prophet? Oh, or is he supposed to be the promised Messiah? Oh, I don't think so. In response to their dismissiveness... Jesus says this, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town among his relatives and in his own home. In other words, when people allow their sense of familiarity to get in the way of God's message They stop hearing the voice of God. They stop hearing the message of God's Word. Because their dismissiveness in Nazareth at this this moment is so great, very few of them seek out Jesus for any kind of help. And Mark records that shortly before he leaves Nazareth, Jesus is amazed, sadly amazed, at their lack of faith. For many of us, myself included, for many of us, all of this, this gathering regularly, on a regular basis, together in this place around the gospel, it can seem so familiar, so routine, so ordinary. We gather in this beautiful, familiar old building. We sing some familiar hymns. We look around and we see some familiar faces. We, fo- we follow a familiar order of worship. Now, familiarity, brothers and sisters, familiarity can be a beautiful, blessed, powerful, comforting thing. You know this. You know this from your own lives. When you are confronted with, with something that grieves you or upsets you or wounds you deeply, to find comfort and assurance in the familiar is beautiful. But the evil genius of your old sinful self and mine can also use familiarity as the people of Nazareth did. The evil genius of your old sinful self and mine can sometimes use familiarity as an excuse or as a premise. For not taking seriously the only Savior you and I are ever going to have. For not taking seriously the reality that the arrival of God the Son in the person of Jesus Christ is the way, the way, the way by which God himself has entered our world and entered our lives to rescue us, to rescue us from the damning curse of our own sin for not taking seriously the truth that only through faith in the perfect life that Jesus has come to live in our place that only through faith in the death that He died on that cross to pay for our every wrong, that only through faith in the risen Savior do you and I possess forgiveness and meaning and peace and purpose and life, that apart. Apart from your relationship of faith in Jesus, your soul is lost. Mine too. Thank God. Thank God that He returns to you and me again and again. In His Word. Thank God that again and again He calls you and me to repentance. And thank God that when we come to Him in repentant hearts, all is washed away, all is cleansed in the blood of the Lamb, all is made new. In the supposed routine ordinariness of our gathering together around the gospel and word and sacraments, in the supposed ordinariness at home of sitting down quietly and opening up the book, Jesus is here. Jesus enters our lives. as he does. Savor it. Embrace it. Be awed by it. Rejoice in it. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding Keep your hearts and minds in Jesus. Amen.